White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 545. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. And we are back. It is the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. The longest name in podcasting. Here we are, the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always for our episode-by-episode walk through the history of Babylon 5 with my great friend and partner, Andy Fix. Welcome back aboard, Andy. Thank you, sir. I'm happy to be here. Well, we are well into the second half of season one. Can you believe it? I can believe it. It's been it's been a lot of fun going back and reliving almost all of these episodes. <laughs> almost. <laughs> I, I got that little well, almost in there. <laughs> well, but you know, I think we've we've I think we've been pretty good at finding the good in all of them so far. Even the ones that have such a bad reputation, we've we've had we've found good things to say about at least to some degree, right? More or less. This is this is true, and and that's what's so cool about the show is there's always good parts to it. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and what I'm discovering, I had never really quantified it before. This is one of the things that's useful to actually, you know, in the past I've watched the show just for entertainment, just to watch it, to soak it up, to live it, to enjoy it. Uh, this is the first time I've been super analytical with it, and I'm enjoying that. I'm enjoying being able to watch it in a slightly different way than I have in the past where I'm actually, like, looking up references and thinking about themes and kind of – I'm just putting a lot more thought into it this time through – which has given me, you know, a, a new way of, of enjoying it, and um, and so one of the things I've, one of the things that has dawned on me, I'm sure other people realize this, you may very well have, but one of the things that's dawning on me this time around is that in even the least exciting, um, least well constructed episodes, the one constant that always seems to come along to save the episode is Ivanova. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I have. I have. I, I have a whole new appreciation for Ivanova because even in the worst scenes or in the worst episodes, she still comes through with at least a quip or a one-liner. But but oftentimes she she completely steals the scene. Or the or, or has a subplot. Like for example, in in um in Believers, I think it was you had mm-hmm. a very kind of you know not an action. A plot, you had more of like a thoughtful, philosophical, what's the right thing to do A plot. So we put Susan in Star Furies and send her send her and the squadron out to fight, you know, raiders and stuff. Right. On the on the other hand, if you have an episode that is more about action, like we're gonna talk about TKO, Susan in the B plot is having a more thoughtful philosophical B plot. So she can do the action plot countering a philosophical a plot and she can do the philosophical b plot countering the action a plot that's pretty diverse and that's a lot of versatility is what i'm trying to say 
Yep. She's a utility player. She really is. I have newfound. See, I've always, I knew that a lot of people liked her and I, she's never been one of my absolute favorite characters, but I am appreciating her more now than I ever did before because I always kind of thought in the past that she was appreciated for, um, just for kind of being funny and whatever and witty. But um, she really is useful to the very structure of the show by countering mood-wise and plot-wise. She's like the counter note in almost, like, not every episode, but in a lot of these. And in fact, have you also, this is another thing I was going to ask you as we kind of went along, but while I'm thinking about it, have you noticed that in the last few episodes that we've been watching, Sinclair has really receded into the background suddenly, and Ivanova's doing a lot more. It, it, you know what I mean? have like, noticed that. Yeah, the first half of the season, Sinclair really dominated the show, I thought. But yep. he's he's just kind of been like the guy they go see when they have a problem now. He hasn't really been like proactive the last few episodes. It, it, it has become the, the next generation versus the original series. Mm. Um, it, it's become much more of an ensemble than yeah. just centered around the main guy. That's true. And but it's interesting though that the show started the one way and then kind of changed to the other. I guess we kind of established Sinclair, and then we kind of started establishing the others. We obviously have had Franklin established with his episode. There have been a couple with Garibaldi. There have been a couple now at least with Ivanova. So we're and we even had one with Talia. So we've slowly been kind of building out that circle. In fact, that's another thing I, I didn't even make a note about, but I do remember I was going to say now is like in, in a couple of the ones we're going to look at tonight, certainly in the last one in TKO, the, uh, the alien ambassadors don't even show up. Right. They're not even in it. Yep. So interesting. Well, um, I have a trivia question for you, and I'm not going to answer it tonight, but I'm going to throw it out there. <clears throat> I'm just going to ask you, I'm not going to ask you for the answer. Don't give me the answer. But were you aware that there is only one episode of Babylon 5 in which all the main characters from the opening credits all appear in the same episode? <laughs> I was not aware of that. There's just one. In the entire five years of the show, there is one episode where everybody is in it. Wow. Yep. I, here, I, and I will ask you this question. Let's and I won't, again. I'm not going to give you the answer. I don't want to spoil anything. What season does that happen? Do you think? <laughs> Maybe season five. We'll leave that there. We'll All leave right. that there. And when it comes up, I'll hope. Oh, I'll remember. I'll remember because it's a. It's one of those <laughs> things that there's like notes about in the Lurker's Guide and stuff. So I'll remember to say it. I won't, I won't remember that I asked you as a trivia question, but I'll remember to mention it. And then you'll probably, because you're probably much smarter than me, you'll be like, oh, that was that question you asked me. See, okay, there we go. All right. I'm sure that several of our listeners know and several of our listeners don't know and don't want to know. So we'll leave it there. But that reminds me of one announcement we have for tonight. You know, we've, we've structured the show. I think we've been very successful structuring the show the way we have with the, with the, like, the categories. I think that's worked really well. And yeah. we're, we're adding a new category now because I feel a need for it. I don't think we needed it as much earlier in this, in this first season, but we're going to need it pretty much the rest of the way through the series, and that is the spoiler section at the end. So what we're going to do is once we finish with our third episode uh, and we're getting ready to wrap up, we'll, we'll sound the alarm 
And if you haven't watched the series and you're watching it along with us here, just go ahead and stop the show right there. You won't miss anything that that you want to hear. But if you are an old hand and you're just enjoying, you know, walking down memory lane with us through the show again, hang around and Andy and I will just dig out any other little factoids and tidbits that kind of play down the road a little bit. Because I feel like it's important now because we are getting to the point that we kind of need to talk about the future a little bit more. And it's hard to just keep biting my tongue. I don't know about you, but there's more stuff I want to talk about. So does that sound like a good idea to you? That sounds like a great idea because we have been tap dancing around some really meaty conversation pieces without being able to address them. And I think this is a good way to handle it because half the fun of talking about Babylon 5 is talking about all the little seeds they plant and then how they grow down later later down the road. So, yeah, I think this is a, a great way to handle that. All right. Very good. All right. So we, and we, I don't think we have a ton of them, certainly not tonight and probably not a lot for a while. But once we get into like season two and season three, we're going to want to have a little time to talk about the big picture, All right. I think. Yeah. All right. All right. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, I once again want to point out I'm continuing to post these episodes both on the White Rocket podcast channel, the White Rocket Entertainment Network, and also on the new White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast channel. Sooner or later, though, I'm going to quit posting them to White Rocket and let it go back to carrying other stuff, Avengers and comic stuff and movie stuff and all that, racing and all that, Uh, Mandalorian, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, But I just want to make sure that I don't do that until everybody knows if you want to keep following this show, just go over and subscribe to its own channel, the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast channel. It's on Spotify. It's on Google, you know, iTunes, Google Podcasts. It's pretty much everywhere now. And uh, that way it can kind of be its own thing and let White Rocket go back to not being hijacked by Babylon 5 every two weeks. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's see. Uh, here we go. Episode 112 is by any means necessary. Now, this is one that... I actually do remember kind of what it's about because when I think of the title by any means necessary, I always envision all the dock workers standing around going, and then the one blonde headed lady like arguing. And so was this one that you kind of remembered what was coming up in it? Or is it one kind of like me where I'm just like, I have no idea what this is going to be about. No, I love this one. This is one of my Mm. favorite episodes from the first season. So yeah, I I was looking forward to watching this one. Excellent, excellent. Well, the original title, I like to do this when I can, when I can find it. The original title was Backlash, which is interesting. I'm not quite sure that fits in. But the thing that's really significant about this episode, one of the things, is it was written by Catherine Drennan, who was Mrs. JMS for a while. And they were married when she wrote it. And my understanding was that he, like, put her, she, he made her put this script through, like, extra scrutiny because he didn't want, anybody saying that it was nepotism, you know, that she only got it produced because she's his wife. And so he's like, you got to get it. You got to submit it to Warner, to P10, you know, to our, to our, you know, to, to, to Tilio and everybody signed off on it and they all thought it was good. Um, the, 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 I'll throw the plot out real quick and then we can get into our categories. There's, there's an A plot and a B plot. They're both very simple. The A plot is the dock workers go on strike and the government just, I don't know what the deal is with EarthGov, Earth Central in this in season one, but they are just looking to be jerks at every possible turn. And so they're looking for the chance to do kind of like the 
air traffic controllers strike in the early 80s and just fire all the dock workers. I don't know how they're planning on docking their ships if they do that. So that's part of it. And then the, the B plot is that Jakar needs, what does he need, Andy? Why don't you tell us the B plot? <laughs> he needs a special plant to yep. uh, complete his religious ceremony. Um, unfortunately, the plant gets, uh, the plant that's being delivered in is uh, destroyed when the, the ship carrying it is, is wrecked. And uh, he has to source another plant on Babylon 5 very quickly. And, and who's the only person that has, a, has one? That would be Mondo Londo Malari. Oh no, no. <laughs> yeah. And of course Londo wants it for, for hedonistic purposes, which is just grating on, on Jakar. So oh, and Londo man. rubs it in as much as possible. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's 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 like if uh it's like if you were a, a Catholic priest and this alien race uses crucifixes in, you know, weird sex practices or something. You're just <laughs> right. like, this is the most <laughs> horrible thing I've ever heard of. Oh my gosh. You know, and Lana just like, yeah, isn't it great. You know? Um, and I did appreciate that these two completely unrelated storylines actually do cross over at the beginning, which yep, is, I noticed that, that too. Yeah. Yeah. So how do they cross over? Well, the, the cause of the, um, unrest in the docks, is because a Narn transport, kind of uh, due to a, a computer malfunction, uh, the pilot of the Narn transport crashed into the docks and caused a lot of chaos. And I think it killed one or two guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what set off the uh, the uh, unrest because they the dock workers felt that they were underpaid and, and working too hard and didn't have the proper equipment and all that. And it destroyed the plant. Right when the when the ship yeah when the ship crashed it it destroyed the plant. So there's yeah so there's the there's the very tenuous yet pretty clever I thought pretty clever uh, tie-in was they were bringing they were bringing Jakar his plant his Jaquaneth plant and uh, and the ship got blown up and the plant went out with it. So I could just imagine Jakar in a spacesuit out like looking for the little frozen pieces <laughs> of the plant. You know? <laughs> oh boy, well. Um, and once again, Sinclair is going to come up with very clever solutions to both of these problems. We're, yeah. we're in Grand Central Station for Sinclair cleverly circumventing the, the system to find answers, and that's going to catch up with him very soon. And that's one of my favorite epi- one, episode, uh, season one episodes that we're going to get to talk about next time. But anyway, all right, so let's get into it. What was your high point of this episode? My high point was the uh, what, you, what you just mentioned, the way that Sinclair invokes the Rush Act there at the yeah. very end to uh, settle the, the dock unrest and get the dock workers exactly what they want and kind of screw EarthGov in the, uh, in the same process. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was my high point too, was Sinclair's ultimate solution to the strike. And by the way, you mentioned the Rush Act. Do you know why it's called the Rush Act? It's got to be something to do with Rush Limbaugh because it is. He, was, yes. he was so big in the 90s. Yes, it's named after Rush Limbaugh, Catherine Drennan, I assume, named after, named after Rush Limbaugh. That's right. And it's, but yeah. it's interesting, though, because it's, you know, it's presented as this totalitarian, authoritarian way that the government can force people to work when they're, when they're not getting you know, proper pay or, or treatment or conditions. But actually, the way the Rush Act is, is described is 
you know, they were in the middle of the Earth-Minbari War, and there were companies trying to war profiteer um, and gouge the government, even as the human race was on the verge of extinction. Under those circumstances, Andy, I can kind of understand the need for the Rush Act, I have to admit. I, I agree. The problem is they didn't ever take it off the books, and now they're using it as a hammer against... You know, when there's not, there's 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 nobody on the verge of extinction anymore, except maybe the dock workers themselves, and the Rush <laughs> right. Act is now being used as a weapon against them. So, yeah, it's it's and, basically something that was very useful and important during wartime that is now being abused by the government in peacetime. Right, and, and Sinclair uses the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, oh, which in this yeah. case is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, very very good. So, um. While we're talking about the uh, the solution to the strike, that leads me to my low point uh, of the episode, which is Oren Zento's acting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the idea of Earth Central, and I just can't get past them calling it Earth Central, so I'm going to keep calling it that. Um, it sounds like a cop show or something, you know. Uh, <laughs> take him down to Central Processing. But it's... <laughs> Oren Zinta, I like the idea that Earth Central sends out like a tough negotiator, bad dude to kind of come in and 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 talk down to the workers and and you know try to. Uh, that's that totally sounds like something EarthGov would do. The problem is this this gentleman who's and I don't think I even got the guest star on this one. I'm sorry. This gentleman playing Oren Zinto is just like so chewing the scenery over the top. This is we should we should start calling it the William Shatner Award for most overacting <laughs> in every episode is definitely definitely Oren Zinto. I did, did, I mean did am I crazy here or did he seem just like he was a little operatic? Oh, he he was definitely over the top, but I thought <laughs> he was such a slimeball character. I loved it. I thought it was fun. All right, we have a new category, the Oren Zinto Overacting Award. We're gonna, I'm gonna highlight that one for future reference. Uh, so that, that could be my... handed out almost every episode. <laughs> it could. Well, that's one of the things about Babylon Five. I've always pointed out it, it, uh, it. They tended to employ a lot of like soap opera actors and career guest stars. You know, career also starring people. Because yeah. they were right there in, in L.A. and those people were around and they, you know, they were looking for work. They'd, they'd turn up on Babylon 5 one week and, you know, Hardcastle and McCormick or something the next or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever show was on. And they'd get their five minutes on each show. So that's fine. Um, you know, but, to, to counter the, the, the Warren Zento actor, I thought the, the actress playing the, the, the uh, uh, union representative, I thought she was fantastic. She was. She was very good. Yeah, I, you know, that's the thing. She was not who I would have cast as the representative for the dock workers at all. And yet yeah. she totally pulled it off. She totally believable. She, she mm -hmm. really got into the role and yeah. I believed everything coming out of her mouth. She was, yeah. she was perfect for that role. I, I, I agree. I'm glad, and I'm glad you said that. Cause again, we, we like looking at the positive and she was absolutely a positive in this shot. Don't, I, don't, I you, let me see. Let me just scroll down here to my notable guest stars. Oh yeah. Okay. So John Snyder was Oren Zento. Uh, Katie Boyer was Neoma Connolly. Was that her? I guess that was her. Yes. And, yes. and then Aki, Along was Senator Hidoshi, and I like him. Senator Hidoshi pops yeah. up every now and then. Uh, let's see. Most Babylon 5 scene. For me, I had um, when uh, um, 
who was it said, today you have made new enemies. That was the senator that you just mentioned. Yeah. When he was she? talking when the, there at the end when he was talking to Sinclair and he goes, you know, I loved, I loved how you, you handled the situation, but there are people here in Earth Central who don't love it. And today you have made new enemies. Yeah, and that's and I, that's going to come back. It is going to come back and sooner than I expected. I, you know, see, that's one of the things about this show is that back in the 90s when this show aired, we were so used to you have a premise and you just milk it the same way until the show gets canceled. You know what right. I mean? Premises don't change. Like Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock didn't get transferred to the Reliant in season two of Star Trek. You know what I mean? It's always right. the same premise. And so, you know, here I am midway through season one, and my understanding is, oh, this is a show that for as long as it runs will be about Jeffrey Sinclair outwitting his own government. And right. man, does that change. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. All right. Fact, we get to- that you know that up until this show, this show broke all the rules. Oh, yeah. Up until this show came out, they they made shows so you could watch them in any order. There yes. were very few two parters in Amen. like Star Trek or Battlestar Galactica. You had to, or in any show really, you had to. I mean, you had to make these shows so you can watch them in syndication in any order. Yeah. Babylon Five, you can't do that in, which is a big reason why I never went into you know rerun syndication after the series ended because you had a watch it in a certain order. Yeah. Preach. That's exactly. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But that's what makes it so great when you can watch it in the right order. We actually, absolutely. That's actually, it's funny. I was on, um, the dragon con, uh, they're calling it the quarant the, the American sci-fi classics quarantine panels on, on, on YouTube. I was on there the other night, uh, with, uh, with a whole crowd of, um, John Hudgens and some other luminaries from Babylon five. And, um, and, uh, yeah, we were talking about how it appealed so differently back then than it does now. I made the point that back then it appealed for being something new and you were learning all this, but now part of the appeal is that you have this novel for television. It's like getting an 800 pound, eight pound. It's like getting an 800 page paperback from Barnes and Noble and just sitting down with it. You've got the whole package. You know, it comes to a conclusion, you know, they wrap everything up and you know that it changes. So there's a different appeal to it now than there was back then. But in both cases, part of that appeal is how well it's done. It's just, that right. it was ahead we, of, yeah, it was ahead of its time for sure. Oh, absolutely. And, and, we wouldn't have had shows like Breaking Bad or The Walking Dead mm-hmm. or or The Expanse or any of these novelized shows that they call it the golden era golden era of TV now because the shows are doing what Babylon Five initiated. You know what they first started doing back in the nineties. Amen. It was way ahead of its time. Preach. Amen. You got it tonight. <laughs> got it tonight. Got the Holy Spirit. Let's see. So my most Babylon Five scene is. Uh, when Sinclair goes to Jakar and explains to him how it's not too late to do the Jaquaneth ceremony. We we talked about Sinclair kind of getting out of the other predicament with the dock workers, but I think we also got to throw a bone to Sinclair. Running on empty, running on no sleep in like three days, and yet he finds a way to solve both problems by basically telling Jakar that light, while it does travel very fast, doesn't travel that fast. <laughs> So he's right. still got some time before the sunrise over the mountain gets to uh, gets to the Epsilon sector, I guess, right? So uh, let's see. What was your favorite character moment? I had two character moments that I really enjoyed. The first one was when uh, 
Lando Malari went into his quarters and Jakar was there <laughs> yes! and they argue about the plant. Yes, that's mine. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I thought that was a great, great character moment. There are some funny lines and some, you know, some serious lines, but it was a good moment. The other one was when uh, Sinclair actually gets the plant back from Londo. I thought that was a really cool little scene how they did that. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I just, that was mine was that, <laughs> uh, uh, was it, yeah, Londo comes into his quarters and Jakar is just sitting there and he's like, you left the door unlocked. So I sat here guarding the place until you returned. <laughs> if anybody right. thinks that, that Jakar would sit and guard Londo's quarters for him, they, you know, for a second, much less however long it was, they are crazy. He absolutely had been ransacking the place. That's hilarious. Right. And L- Londo knew that. He even said, so did you find what you're looking yeah. for while you were guarding my yeah. quarters? Yeah, that's great. And speaking of funny, funniest moment. All right, I'll do mine this time. Um, this honestly, there were not a lot of funny, other than the ones we've already mentioned. Not a lot of super funny moments this time. Some episodes are funnier than others, um, but I think I did enjoy the most another Ivanova moment. Again, she gets the drama moments, but she also gets the comedy. There's all these people. You know, Londo's on the, I get what's it called? The observation dome, the bridge, the command deck, whatever you want to call yep. it. Londo is yep. there and Jakar is there and they're yelling at each other, which is the last thing you want in the middle of trying to run a space station. And then who shows up but Marianne Kramer? Hey, I forgot she was on another episode. I totally forgot that we yep. see Marianne Kramer again. So the three of them are there. And and I think um, Sinclair tells Ivanova to get him out of there. So so she just starts counting down ten, nine, eight, and they turn tail and run. And she gets to three. And as she gets to three, Garibaldi walks in and goes two, one. What did I miss? Right. <laughs> so they, you know, for, again, first season Garibaldi is my favorite Garibaldi. When he was still fun-loving and fun, uh, and he and Ivana yeah. really kind of play off each other very, very, uh, very effectively. I thought there's some great humor between the two of them. What was your funniest moment? Yeah, my funniest is when Jakar first learns that Molari is the only one with a plant on the station, and oh, Molari's reaction, especially when he's getting on the elevator, he's just giggling to himself. He's like toodaloo, <laughs> and you know Jakar gives us one of those oh, oh I love priceless it. moment. Frustrated Jakar is the best Jakar, certainly in season one. I mean, when yeah. when Jakar is full of himself, he's kind of insufferable. But when he's been brought low and he does the curses foiled again thing, you know, when he goes ah, that's awesome. I I agree. That's really yep. good. All right, let's see. I have a few factoids and notes. Let me throw out to you. I actually have quite a few for this episode, more than I expected. So let me just run through them real quick. Um, I felt like the pre-title sequence where the sh- where the Narn ship crashed. I thought that was a that's one of those things that's good on paper, but the CGI just couldn't quite. You know, you you have commented before that explosions in outer space are kind of their weak, just by technology, the yeah. weak thing that they have. And I thought that kind of let them down. Otherwise, it was a good story idea. Uh, the title yeah. is was famously spoken by Malcolm X. By any means necessary. Um, I was kind of wondering if all those candles that Jakar had burning in his in his quarters, if he was recycling the ones the believers aliens had, <laughs> you know, because that's candles are shorthand for a holy moment. Ah, I sure. Well, yeah, and, and they look like the same ones to me. Uh, we right, learn, they were. I'm sure. Yeah, really. I've been noting when we learn something new about our main cast, and this time we learned that Garibaldi's grandmother was a Chicago cop which kind of makes yep. sense. 
Um, yep. We talked about the Rush Act. Uh, uh, oh, we get a name check to Ragesh 3. Did you think I'd forgotten? So from yeah. all the way back in the very first episode, we got a, a check to the Narn attack on the Centauri base there. Uh, we find out that Natath is not a follower of Jaquan. Her father followed Jalan. So, gee, I, <laughs> that's uh, interesting. It's kind of like finding out that your, your, your employee is like a Buddhist or something, you know, when you thought they right. were Jewish or Christian or something and they're Buddhist. So, yeah, it's just a different, different prophet, basically, I think. They and never that, make that's it- another, uh, another example of Babylon 5 not having the monolithic cultures. It is. They start us out thinking that and then they start spreading it out. I don't know if we ever get a full understanding of Jaquan. I almost, wanna, I almost wanted um, JMS or one of his writer pals there to do us, like Peter David or somebody, to to give us we never got like a Narn book you know we got we got three Centauri novels three Psychor three tele, uh, Technomage we never got a Narn book that kind of explained Jaquan and the Kari and all that I would have liked a little bit more about them I think that would have been interesting agreed we you know and that was one of the things that frustrates me most about the Babylon Five is we never got the 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 attention that the Star Trek Mm. Uh, setting got Star Trek got years and years of fandom that you know mm. they they got the novels the video games the the RPGs all that stuff that filled out and fleshed out all that stuff about the Klingons and the the uh, Vulcans and all that some of the some of the coolest moments or some of the coolest aspects of Klingon or Vulcan mythology come from you know those bits and pieces not from the actual um, TV shows and movies so I think Babylon Five fandom was criminally underserved by by missing out on all that that's a fair point sure is yeah think of all the star trek novels i mean our friend keith the canada wrote a bunch of them we know you know there's been a bunch of them and yet uh mm-hmm. Babylon five has Babylon half five has like nine dell paperbacks nine del ray paperbacks and then some stories some comics and some stories that uh that were jms and a few other people wrote and that's about it so yeah Right. Other, other than a few fan things out there. Well, at some point, I want to talk about, not anytime soon, but at some point, there is this amazing, gigantic fan fiction story on the internet called The Dark Distorted Mirror that's like the Dark Babylon 5. And it is amazing. But we'll we'll get to that when we get to odds and ends later on in our series. Cool. Uh, let me see. A few other tidbits. Um Sinclair keeps saying things are changing back on Earth, and that's certainly the case. Things aren't the way they used to be. Um, this is as ragged as we've seen Sinclair, I think, all all along. He looks like he hadn't shaved in two days and is really worn out. There, there's a story behind that. Yeah. He was doing a Broadway play uh, the week before this was supposed to be shot, and it, it, he flew in from the play. The red, the, He took the red eye out to L.A. to shoot this episode. And uh, he hadn't had a chance to shave, and JMS took one look at him. He goes, "Keep the look. I love it. That's exactly how I want your character to look this episode." <laughs> That's perfect. That's really good. Uh, you know who was a really, jer- really a big jerk in this episode was Londo. I'm, this is probably early Londo, nice Londo, funny Londo. This is about as mean as he ever really got, honestly. But of course, he's just rubbing it into uh, to Shakar. We don't get any yeah. Delin, any Lanier, any Veer in this episode. I thought it was interesting. It's always noticeable when there's no Delin because she's so important. 
Um, right. And we, we mentioned the guest stars. Oh, well, we're, uh, did you have any tidbits or factoids you want to note? The, I, you know, I just I just blew my one right there with the, the <laughs> oh, five good. o'clock shadow. That, yeah. that was the extent of my research. <laughs> that was excellent. They're very good. Very good. All right. So our episode rating, I gave this one two stars mostly for the clever solutions that Sinclair comes up with and for some Londo scenes. This one's about a, you know, it's just a slightly below average for the whole series. So two solid stars. What did you rank it? I gave this one a three star. Um, like I said, it's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I think uh, um, Sinclair just totally shines in this one, even though he's having a rough time and he looks pretty ragged. He, uh, he outmaneuvers everybody in this one. And I, I really enjoyed it. And, I, I enjoyed watching it again. I, I I remember this being one of my favorite episodes, and sitting down and watching it, it didn't let me down. There we go. All right. So one down and two to go, for those of you keeping track of how many we're covering. On to episode 113, Signs and Portents. And oh my goodness, Andy, you didn't necessarily know it back at the time, but this one is large. This one's big. Yep. It's big. All right. So let me... Let me see the this. Let's see. I'll knock out a little bit of the summer. You can add some in, which is um, this. There's two things going on. Uh, really, the a plot. The original title of this one was Raiding Party because it's really about the raiders setting up this elaborate way to attack Babylon Five and steal the Eye, which is a Centauri uh, historic bauble jewel that looks like it came out of a candy machine. And um, but we'll get to that. But the other plot is this mysterious man named Morden shows up from having been out on the rim for a couple of years, and he asks the ambassadors one simple question, Andy. What does he want to know? What do you want? What? What do you mean, what do I want? Ah, what do I want? What do I want? <laughs> so we'll get into that a little bit. What was your high point of this episode? My high point, and again, I'm I'm a tech geek. I loved the first showing of the shadow ship. I oh, thought that was yeah. that that just blew me away because that look, doesn't look like any even the Vorlon ship. You know, was was kind of organic and, and and cool looking, but it would still look like a standard you know sci-fi ship. But man, that shadow ship was something else, and it it totally knocked my socks off. It yeah. and it was cool. I got that same thrill watching it again this time, mm-hmm. just seeing that come out of hyperspace and. Oh, it was just so cool. And you don't see much of it yet. Yet. Right. Yet. Um, my high point of the episode was, here I have been, again, I'm flashing back to the first time I watched the series. Here I am watching this show, which I have decided is about what humans do trying to operate among alien races, many of whom want to fight each other. So you've got the Narn and the Centauri and their big conflict. And you've got the Earth and the Minbari, who have just had a big conflict. And to me, that is the show. That is the show. And then, of course, Kosh bumps around and blows things up when he feels like it. But otherwise, (laughs) that's the story. And then, all of a sudden, and we know, we know that the Minbari are powerful as all get out, second only to the the Vorlons, right? Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, this, this human, this used car salesman, shows up and goes up to Delenn in her quarters and says, what do you want? And she freaks out, and a triangle, and the Minbari love them some triangles, 
a triangle appears on her head, on her forehead, and she orders him frantically to leave as a shadow passes over his face right there in the room with electric lighting. That was so awesomely done. Oh, man. And she says to herself after he's gone, they're here. And at that point, I'm on the floor. I'm like, there's somebody else out there. And they scare the Minbari. Yeah. Oh, man. The show just kicked into a higher gear right there. But it's for like the a, second time in the season too. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, yeah. So, oh man, I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Um, what was your low? Did you give your high point? You did. Just the shadow shit. Yeah, I did. I did. Yep. What is your low point? My low point was the Raider captain. The acting of that guy was just atrocious. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. He was. Uh, I I had a note. Could the could the Raiders secret agent look any sneakier and any guiltier when he's trying to be unobtrusive? Right. I mean, this is not a spoiler to say there's a scene later on in the series where Jakar tries to be unobtrusive by standing behind a small house plant. And this is right <laughs> up there. <laughs> this is right up there with that in terms of yeah. look at my camouflage behavior. You'd never know I was up to anything. All right. All right. My, my low point of this one, the eye, to be what it's cracked up to be, should look like a Fabergé egg or something. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it looks really bad. Oh, Lord. It looks like they glued it together out of plastic parts in a hurry with a hot glue gun. Oh, man. I mean, I again, I... I guess we have to make the same accommodations for the for the uh, props that we do for the sets and and stuff, which is right. they're telling an awesome story with awesome characters, and you just kind of have to, you know. I kind of wished I was back watching it on channel like 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 I watched Star Trek and Space nineteen ninety nine when I was in when I was a kid. I was watching them on uh, on a UHF channel. We didn't get very clearly, so I couldn't tell how bad the effects were because it was all snowy. And I'm like, man, Babylon 5 would be awesome on channel 42 <laughs> with all the static and the snow. I'd be like, oh, this show has the greatest effects ever. you know. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's too bad. And JMS absolutely hated that prop. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that because, yeah. good Lord. Uh, just make it like a big stone, like an infinity stone or something. It doesn't have to have bells and whistles and crap. Right, right. Oh, gosh. All right. Uh, what was your most Babylon 5 scene? Uh, it's got to be um, more than walking around saying, what do you want to all uh, the ambassadors? That was so, because all their answers were so very Babylon 5. I mean, it just lays yeah. out the, the the next, you know, four seasons with yeah. their answers. It, it was oh, pretty amazing. The, the, the 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 I'm not going to mention in their context. So I'll just mention real quick. When 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 Morden asks Jakar and Jakar gets almost worked up to saying I want all my enemies dead, right? And then he kind of right. pauses. He's like, no, if everybody can just get along, that's fine. You know, if we can just have peace, everybody's safe. Right. And Morden's like, man, <laughs> come almost on. had one, almost, yeah, man. Yeah, that's a really important scene, and you could see where an alternate universe version of this story and that's not the one i'm talking about but if if you did write an alternate take on this series you could see one where jakar they happen to catch jakar in a bad mood instead of londo in a bad mood or somebody else right. imagine if imagine if delin had been having a really bad day when morden <laughs> showed up oh yeah. man can you imagine so yeah um I, my most battle in five scene 
I had two. One is Lord Kiro telling Londo that when he was born, a prophet said he would be killed by shadows. Ha, how silly. Ha, ha, ha. Ah, good fellas laugh. Ha, ha, ha. ha. <laughs> yeah, killed by shadows. And then Kosh, when he runs into Morden, clearly unintentionally, they run into each other, and Kosh says, Leave this place. They are not for you. Go. And then later, someone reports that Kosh's encounter suit has been damaged. Okay, right. again, the Vorlon suffered damage. So, yeah, yeah, that's not good. And you'll notice that was the second time they met. The first time uh, when they were about to cross oh. paths, Morden hid. He did. He hid, yeah. yeah. That's true. So, man. Something going on there, I think we can say. Yeah. All right. My favorite character moment was, I think, Londo telling Morden what he really wanted because we finally see Londo, who's been jovial and wacky and fun. But in his, you know, when you drop his defenses for just a moment, he wants it all back the way it used to be. Remember in the, uh, in the pilot, he said, that, that Centauri Prime had become a, an annex of the of Earth's empire, open like nine to five Earth standard time, right? And he the resentment was so obvious. He was he was resigned to it. He could laugh about it, but you knew it was eating him up. And now we really see that Londo is just having to swallow this indignity of the Centauri retreating and retreating and shrinking and he wants it all back the way it was and morden is like that's very thank you very much i appreciate the answer yeah oh oh man that's just that moment where i want to grab londo and say shut up shut up shut up don't say anything <laughs> to this man don't but it all starts going to crap there all right um did you have a fa favorite character moment I actually had two. One of them was, uh, you mentioned it, Jakar's answer, because mm -hmm. it's so perfectly, you know, we, we expect him to be, you yes. know, the, the aggressive kind. But if you really listen to his answer, he is the peacemaker. And, yes. and it, 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 I mean, that's just the character, you know, where his character is going. And it's, it's, it's real. Knowing what, you know, what we know, seeing him say that now, it, it, it really, you know, brings something out in, in his character. It's really cool. Absolutely. The other part was, uh, when uh, Delenn was talking to Morden and that, that shadow falls across him. It is so theatrical, but it is so perfectly yeah. done. I just love that moment. And JMS has pointed out, it freaked him out how much like Rod Serling Morden comes across there. Yes. Kind of like, I never thought of that. That's yeah, cool. He does. Standing there in that suit, kind of with his hands, you know, clasped and half yeah, little that little smile, smirk. little knowing smirk is so... Rod's, it really is like Rod Serling shows up on, on Babylon 5. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Uh, let's see. What was your funniest moment of signs and portents? The funniest moment is when uh, Londo and, and Jakar are waiting for the elevator and they have that <laughs> argument. And that guy, that just that nobody guy is standing there in the middle and he's just like, I'm out of here. <laughs> yes. That was a pretty good moment. Well, they had that great line where they both they both miss the elevator and they both say at the same time, "Now look what you made me do!" Right? So that right. Was, and 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 that was intentional because I think what they were showing was that Earth is kind of caught between the humans are caught between the Narn and the Centauri in that situation. So that was that. Yeah, that's that's very uh, poignant. That's kind of cool. I didn't think very, of that. Yeah, very deep. Um, I had a note for that one, but the other one that I have 
is at the beginning when Ivanova's all all groggy and she says, I've always had trouble waking up when it's dark outside. And Sinclair says, but it's always dark in space. And she says, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So she's always grouchy. Good old Susan. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Just a few factoids from this one. It's Wednesday, August 3rd, 2258. Uh, listeners may not realize, um, I think people who've watched the show all the way through kind of get this, uh, um, but this show moves not in real time, but each season is a year. So we are to understand that the first episode of most seasons is sometime in January of that year, and they're usually about to celebrate New Year's Eve at the end of every season. You'll notice that. So each season kind of covers a year. Uh, it'll become more apparent as you go along. The funny thing, though, is it's Wednesday, August 3rd, 2258, but August 3rd, 2258 will not be a Wednesday. So they somebody made a mistake somewhere. <laughs> they calculated it out, and that's not correct. Uh, Ivanova right. sets her alarm for 4.30 a.m. Good God, no wonder she didn't want to get up. Um, let's see. Um, uh, Morden hasn't updated his personal information in a while. He's been out on the rim. That can't possibly be bad. Uh, Sinclair... Hmm tells Garibaldi what he remembered about the line and asked Garibaldi to investigate and Garibaldi I thought agrees. that was a cool yeah that was a cool moment we're gonna come back to that in just a minute because that's going to be important for in a future episode I won't say uh, I love that the Centauri government paid enough for a small planet to acquire the eye from whoever had it uh, let's see I mentioned the guy caught in the elevator um Okay, we talked about Shakar. Lady Ladira senses that Babylon 5 will be destroyed with much fire and destruction and death. That one we probably need to save for the spoiler section at the end. Yeah. Nothing, I have nothing to say about that. Did you? I, I have something to say about that. Okay. When she when she was getting ready when to, to give that, that proclamation and she kind of faints a little bit. Yeah. And they're they're trying to help her up. And in the background, they show the... the um, information screen of like incoming flights and stuff that's going on on the station. Did you happen to pause that and look at that? I did not, <laughs> but I'm dying to Hap- know. Happening on Babylon Five that very week was yes. the Rolling Stones farewell tour concert. <laughs> <laughs> they are still doing their farewell uh, tour in in 2258. Their heads. And Keith Richards is Keith Richards is still alive. Oh, there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt. He wasn't even even if the Minbari had destroyed us at the after the Battle of the Line, he still would have gotten away somehow. All right. Uh, we did kind of note this that that caught that that Mr. Morden hides from Kosh. I would just add, Morden doesn't ask Kosh what he wants. He never right. asks him that. That's interesting. Uh, let's see. We've covered a lot of these as we talked about it. What blew up the Raider ship? Huh. Hmm. Hmm. Spoiler time. Uh, we will find you, Ambassador. We will find you. Well, that doesn't sound ominous at all. I'm right. sure it's perfectly fine to be working with this Morden guy, Londo. You have nothing to worry about. Oh, and here we go. All right. So the other side of, of Sinclair asking uh, Garibaldi to investigate what happened to him, Garibaldi says, Jeff, you were pretty far down the list to lead Babylon 5, but the Minbari had a veto power, and they rejected everybody until it got to you, which is the same thing as saying the Minbari chose Sinclair to be in charge of Babylon 5. Isn't that 
Interesting. Yeah. Mm. And then lastly, my last tidbit is Ladira says this is a possible future. So there is an out there that things could change. Uh, a possible future, but it's not set in stone. We had Garrett Graham as Lord Kiro and Freddie Ulster as Lady Ladira and Ed Wasser as Mr. Morden, which was interesting. This that is they- the- Go ahead. Yeah, it's the second character he's played on this series. Yeah, Gura, Gura, whatever in the first one, was, but they brought him back. And I like that they hid his name way down in the end of show credits rather than as a main guest star. They minimize him. Nothing to see here. Move along. He's just some guy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, JMS said Ed Wasser is sort of our discovery. I pretty much wrote the part of Morden with him in mind for the role. He's great in it. He's perfect for the role. He is an oddly Rod Serling-ish quality to his stance i've noticed and he will definitely be seen again uh this is great jms asked ed wasser if there'd been any reaction after this episode if he didn't you know if anybody said anything he said the only thing was he went to a flower shop to get flowers for a friend who was sick and the florist came out and said what do you want and ed says well i just want to get some flowers (laughs) and the owner says but what do you want? And he goes, well, they're sick. I thought some nice flowers would be good. And he goes, yes, but what do you want? At which point Ed finally figured out what was going on. He says it really is an unnerving approach, which was kind of the point. And then he says, right, the owner, that's awesome. that is awesome. The owner then added, he thought the scene was from deep space nine, but what the hell? It's an imperfect universe. <laughs> so there you go. There you go. All right. What do you have any uh, other? We've we've kind of blown through a whole lot of tidbits in our discussion. So, do you have any other tidbits? I don't. I, I yeah. I kind of tossed the the two I had out already. I I kind of burned through most of mine even before I got to it too. All right. What is your episode rating for this episode? I'm really interested to know. I give this one a three stars. It would have been rated higher, but there really wasn't a whole lot of of plot to it. It just moved by so quickly. Um. It. It just it it it's hard for me to, to to put into words. They gave us a lot of information, but it was a lot of information. There wasn't a whole lot of really meaty plot to it. You know, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I see what you mean. You kind of had the Raider story, which was kind of you know bringing that to a certain conclusion at least for now, and then you had uh, Morden kind of walking around saying stuff. But yeah, I, I agree. Even still, though, and I think this is really more looking back, kind of. Um, knowing where it's going rather than what it is on the surface. This one gets a 4.0 from me. Nice. Because it opens that door. All right. It does. There is a lot to it. I'll give you that. Well, I had a little note here. I said this is based to some degree on what we know is being set up. Though it's overall, I found it a slightly better episode than I remember because I always kind of forget the Raider part. See, I always remember Morden in this one, but I never remember that there's a connection I always forget the whole thing with the eye, right? In other yep. words, I know that I know that Ivanova fights the Raiders, and I know that Morden asks, "What do you want?" But I forget that once again, like with the Jaquan Eth plant blowing up in the dock, there's a connection. There's a connection, and that's pretty cool. So, all yep. right, well, let me pause here before we do our final episode, which I don't think is going to take very long to do that one. But um, <laughs> we have to thank the folks who keep our shows on the air, and you can join their ranks just go to www.b5review.com www.b5review.com that is the webpage where i am posting links to all the episodes little players for all the episodes in, in different colors that kind of match the episodes and um 
It also has a big button that says become a patron. You can just click there and go straight through to our page to become a patron of the show and help us pay the bills. I did have to set up a whole new podcast channel for this show, and that's just another big bill that I get every month. So if you want to uh, help us defray the cost, just go to www.b5review.com. Here are the folks that currently keep our programs on the air, we have Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Samuel Salvatore, Bart Lindsay, and Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Michael Kirshner, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, and Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, Ann Kangian, A. You Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, Chris and Clinton Stewart, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, Eric Morgan, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, WDE Richie, we gotta get better at celebrating, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, and Chris the Hilton. I love those three. Colby Butler and Danny Flack. And then we have a few more. Darius Benton, David Simpson, Diabama. Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Canoy, Kevin Mahan, Christian Thorvaldson, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, 76 Tigers Still Lives, Alex Nguyen, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Rigas, Brandon Smith, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, we're getting close to the end, Donnie Reynolds, James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull Albert, John Zavachin, Joseph A. Miller, uh, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright, Ka- uh, Kenneth Brent Rains, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vizicana, and finally, Paul Bankson, public landowner. Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth, and Darren Sutherland, Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Brant Rumble, and Chris, plus our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you guys for making our programs possible, and you will get various bonuses throughout the year that we're working on even now. So go to www.b5review.com and hit the button to become a patron. Now, Andy, it is time for our final episode, the one about the Mutai. I've been waiting <laughs> to say that all day. The Mutai, TKO. So why don't you tell us what, the, what TKO is about? TKO, oh, man, you would do this to me. <laughs> <laughs> TKO is about the uh, the uh, the Muay the Muay Yes, it's about the galactically famous uh, fighting tournament that humans are not allowed to take part in. But one plucky, courageous human decides to take the plunge and throw his hat into the ring and works his way into the uh, the, the tournament. And the B plot, which is far superior and should have been the A plot, is uh, <laughs> one of Ivanova's finest moments. It's about uh, her rabbi from Earth, her family's rabbi from Earth, comes to visit so he can help her set Shiva, mm-hmm. which is the Jewish tradition of uh, kind of like a funeral and a remembrance, kind of a memorial service for her father that had passed away a few months ago. I think you did a fine job. I'm like, I'm like, he's going to be mad that I stuck him with TKO. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Yeah. I, all right. So high point of the episode for me, I'm going to jump in and do it because I thought it was great. 
Susan at the ceremony, Claudia Christian is amazing. Once again, Ivanova bails out an otherwise not so great episode. And this is just not something that you even see in most science fiction TV shows or movies. Is something this personal and you know meaningful and and relig- blatantly religious. You know that's really really cool. I can't imagine Star Trek really ever doing this. And that's not an insult to Trek. It's just that this is what Babylon Five does. You know, so that's that is yep. my high point of the episode. My high point would be the whole the whole B plot, the whole sitting shiva. I thought that was. I mean, my wife is Jewish, so I'm I'm well versed in all this stuff, and I thought they did a fantastic job with it. And Susan Ivanova and Claudia Christensen, the actress, just knocked it out of the park. Every scene she was in, she was hard and soft and and totally believable. And I thought it was just amazing to watch it all unfold. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're right that there's such a contrast in her performance because she can be the tough military person and then she can be so vulnerable and shattered and, and, and can switch back and forth, you know, and then angry yep. and everything. And it's just amazing. And it, it's all organically. I mean, it just flows. It's so totally believable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just amazing that this show goes there even and gives her a, you know, opportunity to do, to do stuff like that. And I'll go ahead and just tell you guys you know, again, not to be spoilerish, but enjoy these kind of deep dive character moments like Franklin and Believers and Ivanova here, because as the show, as the series goes along, it gets more focused on the big stories and you really don't maybe get as much of this later as you do in the first season when we're still learning the characters. Is that fair to say? That is totally fair to say. It gets very plot heavy and, and, frenetic in later uh, seasons. Yeah, so you're not going to get like a whole episode of Ivanova mourning her father because they're just she's got, you know, there's stuff going on she's got to do, you know, as she said her duties so, okay uh, what was your low point? <laughs> the low point was the whole Muay tournament <laughs> was just ridiculously done. I mean if and maybe if they had a different budget, they could have yeah. made it something a lot cooler. But it looks so cheesy and cheap, and they were all wearing the the Earth martial arts geese, and you know they set this up to be this big, huge intergalactic tournament, and yet here's it, it's like watching some guys wearing some Earth martial arts geese, you know, beat each other up. And the fight choreography was horrible. Yeah. I mean, it was like two punches and the guys out, and and Garibaldi's like. Man, did you see what he did to that guy? He tore him apart. It's like, dude, he punched him in the head and he fell over. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was really poorly done, I thought. Yeah. I I agree. I, I don't know enough to be able to critique the fight, though I certainly can see that certainly that seemed to be a problem. But also, I, I kept thinking, we're in a dark room with some with Johnny Carson's gold curtains and neon tubes. And then I thought, <laughs> you know, as much as the neon tubes look bad. If they took them away, it would look even worse. So I'm not really sure what you could do. It's right. it's like it's like it's it's like um this it's like the problem I had last episode with the with the uh, our, our last episode with the with the council chamber. It needs to be a little more grandiose or just don't do it, I guess, because when you do it but you do it for 20 bucks, it looks like you did it for 20 bucks and it just takes me out of the scene because it's just so you know, it looks like you could a high school production. It seemed like could do better. And again, they're trying to do a whole lot of things. And they, I know, right. I understand that, and they have a low budget. But man, that yeah, that was that was pretty much my yeah. uh, my low point too. Was just how bad the Mutai, the the set, 
And I agree. The costumes, they're all in these brand new earth looking, you know, designed outfits. And then I think probably the lowest point of that was the leader of the Mutai, who was apparently an alien from planet China. (laughs) Oh, that was awful. That was awful. Yes. Um, Maybe if the aliens had... If they if they played up the alienness of the aliens and had their own fighting styles and, and yeah. their own outfits, but it was just it was it looked like something out of a Mortal Kombat movie with you know with oh it was oh bad. that's that's another thing I want to mention yes yes I'm glad you said that if they were all different kinds of aliens like if it was a cartoon like it's animated if they were all different kinds of aliens yeah. and they said oh for some reason bipe- bipedal humanoids can't really do well at this, I'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. If you've got eight tentacles and fangs, you probably are going to you know, win. Like if it was like a, if it was right. land sharks and one human, I'd be like, yeah, the human's dead. Don't go in the ring with eight land sharks. You know what I mean? But these were all right. basically humans with bumpy heads. How are they superior and to not humans? Even in, <laughs> they weren't even that bulky, you know? No. I mean, they, the, the, the big champion looked like, looked like my high school, uh, uh, economics teacher i mean it was like wow that's the thing is like i again i couldn't figure out why they banned humans from it because if like i said if the aliens were like walking bobcats and sharks yes yeah of course humans you have no business being in there but those aliens were 99 percent human what the crap are they? What do they got to get? Right. You know, at, at that point, it's it's just racism. It's not practicality. You know what I mean? Like if this was Ring World and they were all Kazinti, yeah. walking tigers, bipedal smart tigers, right. then I'd be like, yeah, don't go in the Mutai, Walker Smith. You'd be an idiot. But this is like this is just racism. This is just we don't like humans, so you can't play. That's just oh wow, right. it's crazy. Okay, well. What was yeah, your most Babylon? They could have oh, dumped McGrath in there. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm sorry. The most Babylon Five movement. <laughs> I, no, I, I I agree with you completely. McGrath should have been in the Mutai. I wouldn't have gotten in the ring with him. He scared me to death. Uh, uh, yeah, McGrath would have really upped the movement factor. Yes. Yeah. So, what was your most Babylon Five scene? <laughs> so, the most Babylon Five movement uh, moment for me was, uh, and there really wasn't much because this was such a filler yeah. episode, but. Uh, the most Babylon Five moment was when they were in the restaurant together, uh, Ivanova and uh, uh, the rabbi. Yeah, and just it, it to contrast it with the set for the Mutai fight, the set for the restaurant was fantastic. It made you feel like you're really in the space station because it's an open air restaurant, and you see the whole interior, the curvature of the interior of the space station. It it, it was really spectacular. That but. You know that's really reaching. I mean, that's that was the most Babylon Five moment for me because it showed most of Babylon Five. No, I think that's a very good answer. It's better than mine. Mine was just seeing all the different aliens in the arena. A lot of the time, it just looked like a bad version of the cantina from Star Wars in '77. But there were a couple of times we saw a Pachmara and we saw a Drazi and all, and so I'm like, okay, so we're starting to see some of the supporting aliens that have names. And I could pick them out of a crowd of bumpy-headed guys pretending to be excited. I have to say, if there's one type of scene in every TV show and movie that puts me off, it's people at some kind of a sporting event, especially a fight, pretending to cheer. Because if you are at an event like that, (laughs) 
you are either into it and you're doing the air punches and yeah, go, go, right? Or you're not. But yet, it doesn't matter the movie, doesn't matter the TV show, there's always people in the crowd that have been clearly told, pretend like you're into it and throw some air punches. And the look on their face is kind of like, yeah, whatever, punch, punch. And it's it, it's in everything. I mean, you know, billion-dollar <laughs> movies have had that. It, it's not just this. So that, that always puts me off. But anyway. All right. Favorite character moment. I guess I'll throw one out first for a change. Let's see. I thought my favorite character moment was Sinclair and Ivanova sitting down and, and Sinclair just being so compassionate and understanding. We would all love to have a boss like Jeffrey Sinclair as he tries to tell her, just take some time off, you know. That was mine. What was yours? That one I had too. I had that one, and then I had the uh, the scene with uh, Ivanova during the uh, ceremony for her father. I thought yeah. that that was just it showed her vulnerability, and and um, it was just really really cool to see that side of her. It really was. And again, it's you know you're looking at the show as some cheesy sci-fi show, and honestly, the Mutai doesn't help with that. And then it it's, what, th- this has got to be the episode of the most contrasting plots right i mean you've got the cheesiest plot in the entire series and then one of the deepest and uh, the 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 way they were cutting between the two they would show you know bits and pieces from the fight and then they would cut to the the memorial service it was like wow that's just the 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 contrast there was a little (laughs) a little unpalatable it's i would say it's like changing the channel between like, you know, the news during a natural disaster and like Bugs Bunny, except that'd be an insult to Bugs Bunny. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> right. of funny. Right. What was your funniest moment? Uh, the funniest moment, I think, and it was just a very small moment when uh, they were originally watching the, the fight and a vendor comes by and, and gives, uh, I, don't, I don't even remember his name, but it was the, the guy Walker that ended Smith. up, it was uh, 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 Walker Smith. I forget his name. Walker Smith, that's right. Walker Smith grabs one and says, oh, man, this is really good. What is it? And, and Garibaldi looks over and goes, fried tree worm. And he just kind of nonchalantly drops it and just pretends like he never even bit into it. It was really that's, good. That's exactly That's a. am just surprised it wasn't a Jovian tree worm since you know who I think wrote this one, didn't I? I think this is a detail. They, they had Jovian tubers in there. Oh, so God, Of course they did. Jupiter's yeah. Just I, that, in, was, so. that was my, my one random factoid. It was a, uh, a Jovian tuber <laughs> while they were in the restaurant eating well, cheeseburgers and Jovian tubers. Oh, Jovian t- oh, Why can't it just be a potato, man? Come on, Dottilio. Give us a break. That <laughs> just, just works my last nerve. Dottilio with his blanket, blankety something something. Ugh. Uh, my funniest moment is Sinclair says, I'm getting tired of doing double shifts. And Ivanova says, maybe you'll remember that the next time Miss Sakai is aboard the station. <laughs> yeah, Susan, shots fired from Susan. Very good. Sinclair's kind of like, oh, you got me there. I, can't, I, can't, I have no comeback. I have no comeback. All right, I have a handful of random factoids. And in fact, we've probably already covered most of them. Uh, yeah, we covered that. Oh, oh, yeah. Ivanova at the beginning is reading a Harlan Ellison book, and that book does not exist or did not at that time. He may have written it after this episode. It was his, he did, autobi- that was his-, his autobiography. Ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. We're having a little bit of a lag, and I apologize. Go ahead. Right. He did. He that was his. He had been working famously working on this autobiography for decades, so the title was out there. Yeah. What so was when the he title finally, of- when it was 
the the title was Working Without a Net. That's it. And it was finally published in 2019. And the funny story is um, Harlan Ellison took that that prop with him to <laughs> yes. conventions and walked around with it. So people would be like, oh, my God, did I miss that when it was published? <laughs> nope. It just He got it through a time machine basically called Babylon 5. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, I love it. Uh, let's see. Um, the, the rabbi says, your father used to say if regret could be harvested, Russia would be the world's breadbasket. That's pretty cute. That was an awesome um, line. I, I'm still wondering why the leaders of the Mutai, the Mutai, randomly chose humans to be discriminated against. Are we the only race that wasn't allowed to participate? I don't know. And why us? I don't know. We did save them from the freaking Dilgar, and this is the thanks we get. So thanks a lot. Um, <laughs> oh, the Zima sign. There's always this talk about you know product placement, and JMS says we didn't get a dime for putting the Zima sign in the bar. We just thought it would be funny. He said, you know, they filmed this in 94. He said, I didn't know if that stuff would be around in, in 2058. I didn't even know if it'd be around in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> right. How prophetic. <laughs> no kidding. A um, couple of things on a sad note. All of Susan's immediate family are now dead because her mother died. Something to do with t- something, something, telepath, something. We'll find out later. Ganya, her brother, died at the Battle of the Line, and now her father's passed away. So she really is kind of like a an orphan of the station, and that's where she uh, and her family is the Babylon 5 family. So. And I just kept wanting, by the way, through most of the episode, I understand that eventually they, you know, Susan comes around and is probably grateful they didn't leave her alone. But the, for the first half of this episode, I just wanted to tell the rabbi and Sinclair, get off her back. If she doesn't want to forgive her father and, and have a thing for him, that's her business, not yours. You know, bug off, man. So, again, I know that it worked out for the best and she was grateful, but... I just felt like they were riding on her a little bit too much, and they needed to just let her mind her business and 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 leave her alone. Maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. Uh, interestingly, right, well, go you, ahead. You've never met a you've never met a rabbi then. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, this episode was number one nineteen production order, so very near. It was produced very near the end of the series. It was, from what I understand, it was supposed to air later, but they accidentally sent the description to TV Guide, so they had to show it when they did because that's what TV Guide was, <laughs> was coming on. So that may be one of the reasons that the episodes are a little out of uh, in, in funky order, depending on whose episode list you go by. But we're going by how they were broadcast. So there you go. An uh, interesting note on that. Yeah. When this aired in Great Britain, they did not air this because <gasps> the Babylon Five aired in a family-friendly time time slot. They did not air this episode. They actually aired it between seasons one and two late at night. Wow. That's right. Yeah, because of the fighting. Yeah. Huh. Even though it was like the lamest fighting ever, but still. Sure. Okay, whatever. We did have some interesting... A lot of British British B5 fans did not see this in its first run, which is, you know, probably for the best. Yeah. That's why they're second season Babylon 5 fans. Um, I have to apologize to the listener. It's not Andy or me doing this on purpose. We just got a little bit of a lag tonight. We haven't had the first few episodes, so um, we're, it, we're not trying to talk over each other. It's mostly me interrupting Andy because I don't know he's talking until the lag comes through, and then so that's my fault uh, and, the, and the technology. I'm trying to avoid it here. Uh, there are some notable guest stars. Theodore Bickle played the rabbi. I, th- I knew I heard his name before, and it's it, not only does he play another character later on in Babylon 5, 
Um, but he also played Aragorn in Return of the King from Rankin Bass Animation. How interesting cool. is that? Yeah, he played. You had the Jewish Aragorn. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Walker Smith was Greg McKinney. This is interesting. Walker Smith was the real name of Sugar Ray Robinson, and they borrowed that name uh, for the for the character here. Uh, That's Greg cool. Mc, Greg McKinney passed away on April 12, 1998, of a brain aneurysm. Sugar Ray Robinson also died on April 12, 1989. And so this is just another example of actors on this show who passed away way too early uh, of really strange causes. I mean, we're to the point now in 2021 that there's probably fewer of the people on this show that are still alive than have passed away. It's absolutely ridiculous. The you know, yep, I was, the I was having that same conversation with my wife. I I just ran down the list of all the people who had died, and she's like, oh, my God, that's like the entire cast. It, that's amazing, yeah. I'm very yeah. thankful that I have my lithograph signed by most of them because like half the people that signed my lithograph are now no longer with us. So I got a little yeah. to, something to remember them by. Um, yeah, and okay, episode rating. I rated this one a 2, and that's almost entirely for the Ivanova storyline. Because you just don't see things like that on most uh, military science fiction or space opera shows. And I also, for what they try to do with the Mutai, we can joke about it and all. And certainly they didn't do a very good job with it. But I could kind of see what they were trying to do with it. And I'll give them credit for at least trying to do something, you know, with the... Uh, with the idea of, of, ex, of rejection and acceptance and, and gaining respect and all that. So, so I gave it a two. What about you? I, I gave it a 1.5 <laughs> uh, entirely, entirely on the Ivanova there subplot. Um, in fact, I would have given it a two if there wasn't even a, uh, an A story. If, if the Mutai, <laughs> if it were just a half an hour show of just the Ivanova plot, it would have been better than yeah. what, it, what it turned out. I, I just really hate the, the whole Mutai yeah. tournament thing. There you go. There you go. Fair enough. All right, man. We've made it through these three. Coming up on our next episode in two weeks' time, we will be looking at 115 Grail, which is a kind of an interesting one. And uh -huh. we will be looking at 116 Eyes, which is one of my other favorite season one episodes. I love Eyes. I think it's really good. And 117 yep. Legacies. Legacies is another in that line of episodes where I'm like, I have no idea what happens in that episode when I hear that title. <laughs> we've, we've seen this. With, it's especially true of these one-word titles when I'm like, give me some clue, right? I mean, there's just no clues there. The, um, survivors is the same way. If you, if you put Legacies and Survivors and like another one from season one, and then you put the plots separately and you told me arrange them in the proper i'd be like oh, i don't know they, they're all kind of the same i don't know survivors legacies whatever um but we do have a big guest star coming up and uh yeah all right so i think that's it are you ready to go into to give our warning for the big for the spoiler section you want me to give the warning? I'm just saying, are you prepared, or do we have anything else to talk about before we get there? No, I'm I'm definitely prepared for that, but you definitely have the voice for giving the warning. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, Babylon 5's warning would be like this. Spoiler section approaching. <laughs> it's very low-key, right? They got that low-key uh, computer voice. Warning, spoiler section approaching. Um, all right, so if you, ha if you don't want spoilers... Go ahead and stop the show now. 
Otherwise, I just have a couple of things. This won't take but a minute. I'm not sure what Andy might have, and we'll see. So we are now in the spoiler sector. So if you're listening from now on, it's your fault, and it's not ours. What do you have, if anything, that you want to talk about from the spoiler section? Just the shadows. That that, yeah. that I mean, that was the the most spoilerific uh, um, element that that showed up in these episodes, and especially, and you you briefly touched on it was when um, Kasha's uh, uh, environment suit got mm. damaged. We see later why how that happens mm. when they show that Morden has aliens protecting him or, or with him that are invisible to everybody oh, yeah. um, until, until they start attacking. So I thought uh, that that was an, I, I had forgotten that that even happened in this episode. I remember mm. when they show up later um, and it was neat that they, they put that in there because the shadows are, he's got one or two, maybe two shadows, one on either side of him that entire time. And when something goes down, especially when there's a Vorlon involved, they come out and they're, they, uh, they show off their powers. Yeah, the the episode you're thinking of is called In the Shadow of Zahadoom, and that's a really good yeah. one coming up in I think season three, I think two or three, two or three. Yeah, and uh, yeah, but I love the idea that the shadows are with him, and it's interesting too. It says a lot about the shadows that they are with him partly to get him to do certain things that you know he's kind of their ma- he's like the mouth of Sauron basically, yeah. and he's there to do stuff, but they're also there to guard him. So he doesn't like run away because he works for them and they're as much about keeping him under control as they are about. In fact, it would have been interesting to find out if he had a keeper like Londo yeah. was later. I'd have totally yeah. slapped a keeper on Morden if I were them, but you don't, you know. Definitely. You don't know. Um, I thought it was interesting that, um, that, that Sinclair keeps tempting fate and I'm looking forward to eyes because that's the one where EarthGov finally is going to send somebody to sort him out and straighten him out and once yeah. again we'll see what Sinclair can do about it so that one's a very fun I don't, I want to I don't even want to if you haven't if you have seen it before but you don't remember the details I'm not going to give the details everybody but uh that's one that's one of the reasons I really like eyes is because it's what I thought would be like the end of the entire series happens like in a couple episodes right not even the not even the end of the season <laughs> yeah 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 and then there's two other points I have very quick one is I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but how interesting would it have been if Morden had arrived back when the when Londo was taunting Jakar about the Jaquan Eth plant, and Jakar was like, "I want to kill all the Centauri right now." I wonder right. what Jakar's answer would have been in the middle of the whole Jaquan Eth thing. Yeah, that that would have been a, a whole different story. Or or back during the Ragesh three attack, you know. Right. So you might have had the Narns be the, you know, we'll get a third of the galaxy, you get the other two thirds or something. How wouldn't that have been something? It might have been Centauri Prime that has little heavy rain coming down on it instead of, uh, instead of yeah. Narn. And then the last thing, how do we reconcile what Lady Ladera said about Babylon 5 being destroyed in fire and death? I mean, we know what's coming for the station itself, inevitably, eventually, but we also know that Part of what she saw, it kind of gets touched on in War Without End. Remember when they look at the, you know, when they're getting reports back from the future and, and Ivanov is saying how the station's about to get destroyed and the shadows are attacking. And it made me yeah. wonder, I wonder if Ladira was seeing that future before they changed the timeline in War Without End. Right. 
That's yeah. that's yeah. And it, I would love to see. Uh, in the, it, I seem to remember there was a Japanese anime show mm-hmm. on based on Babylon Five. Oh, that that did his storyline the way it was originally written. Oh wow! It, I, I want to say that that it was either an anime or a comic, a, a magna, I guess, the manga yeah. they're called. Yeah, I forget what it was. I'll, I'll I'll have to do some research in that. Please do because I would love to see what the actual story would have been yeah. if they were able to retain all those actors. I think that would have been spectacular. I've heard a couple of versions of it, and we can talk about it maybe next episode in our spoiler section. We can kind of talk about just yeah. some loose catches of it. Uh, oh, the last thing that occurred to me I forgot was, what if Lord Kiro had been allowed to take the eye back to Centauri Prime and claim the throne? Seasons three and four would have been a lot different if, if you had yeah. Kiro as the emperor. I mean... I think Kiro would have been very happy to go along with certain things based on what we saw about right? him. I don't I don't think he would have stood up and put his foot down and said, get off of my planet. I think he'd have been like, oh, yeah, you can have those islands. No problem. Sure. No, you know. Right. So that uh, that would have been interesting. I, th- I think it's interesting, and, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, but how the character of Ivanova, even though she's not the main character, how she's kind of the glue that holds the whole team together. Yeah, and how we see that play out in season five when she's not around anymore. Oh yes, absolutely. I, I think that the show. I mean, season five is is its own thing. Season five is season five, and we all know why it ended up the way it did. Right. But even even with Ivanova there over over uh, Lockley, I think it would have been a better show simply because she is the the the, the glue. Yeah. She's the Captain America of the Babylon Five crew. That's very true. I think you're right. Although it would be more like the Soviet super soldier. But yes, you're exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but no, you're exactly I guess Red Guardian is who I was looking for. But yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. That's and that's true. I, I, I Lockley's neat, but she was no Ivanova. No Ivanova right. at all. And and no nothing against Tracy Scroggins, who's a fine actress and does her thing, you know, her way and that's fine. But but yeah, Ivanova really was in a lot of ways the soul of the show and, and it and it certainly had an impact. So all yeah. right. All right, any last thoughts? No, sir. I think we covered everything really well. All right. Well, the the White Rock. God, we have a long title, and I apologize because I thought of it, but I just <laughs> wanted to make sure everybody understood exactly who we are and what we're doing. And when they search for Babylon 5 reviews, um, we are the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, and we're going to get out of here for another episode, and we will see you guys in two weeks when we talk about Grail, Eyes, and Legacies, the one-word titles. Just keep on coming in Season 1. I will talk to you later, Andy. All right, take care, sir. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.